Right. So uh, we were in China for the past like three weeks, right? Yeah. And you know those emails about like Saudi prince uh, sells you something, send money, blah, 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 that people get here that are like famously. Yeah, it's the classic phishing email. Yeah. It's like I'm a temp- temporarily embarrassed Saudi billionaire. If you will lend me yes. 100 pounds, then I will repay you a yes. million pounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's always with some kind of oriental... The, the the meme thing yeah some is, foreign yeah. yeah it's the Saudi prince thing or the uh, African uh, prince African prince the, of some yeah. sort yeah so while we were in China I got the following email from the desk of Mr Anthony J Blinken <laughs> <laughs> honorable USA Secretary of State and Chairman Refund Payment Committee Federal <laughs> Executive Council Washington DC USA <laughs> Dear beneficiary, hmm. Mr. Anthony Blinken, 71st U.S. Secretary of State since January 26, 2022, appointed by the President, Mr. Joe Biden, with the advice and consent of the Senate. This is to notify you that Mr. Brian Moynihan, Chairman of the Board of Directors Bank of America Corporation, visited my office with an envelope contained copies of documents, and the documents are your compensation payment file from, I'm not reading these badly this is english this is, this is literally broken. what it is are your compensation payment file from four different banks natwest bank of london bank of america they stated that you disclaim your compensation fund worth us six billion united states dollars <laughs> <laughs> and their purpose of visiting my office is to seek support and have my signature on the documents to for easy confiscation of your compensation fund to the government budget account since you don't want to receive it but with the experience in the ah. government, I refuse to sign the documents. However, due to humanitarian ground and sympathy, I immediately called up the President Joe Biden and John Glover Roberts Jr., Chief Justice of the <laughs> Supreme Court of the United States, and explained your matter to them as regards to your payment, six billion United States dollars from four different banks. And they personally called Mr. Brian Moynihan, Chairman of the Board of Directors Bank of America Corporation, to reduce the payment from $950 to $300 in order to help you afford the fee to obtain the tax clearance certificate so that by the time your fund gets to you, no authority will question the funds as it has been legally certified free from all financial malpractices and facets. <laughs> Note, the $6 is, billion is United States dollars <laughs> is a compensation fund from four different banks. <laughs> NatWest, Bank of London, Bank of America, Bank United Arab Emirates, since 15 December 2021. I'm, again, 2020-21. <laughs> Your email address was generated through the computer ballot system as one of the selected victims to receive this compensation. What? Doesn't make any sense. I'm just reading what he said, man. No, no real attempt to explain why average person <clears throat> is owed billions of dollars. To this end, it will interest you to know, I'm skipping some parts because it's long, that every and any fee charges required has been reduced mm-hmm. to only the sum of US 300 US dollars. Wow. This step is in order to enable you to afford this only fee so that your tax clearance certificate will proceed, pro- 
procure in your name to enhance the immediate transfer of your six billion United States dollars into your bank account or ATM MasterCard will be delivered to your home address, depending on the choice, which you want to receive your money and every other documentation proof for your fund have been packaged and sealed to be mailed together with your Visa card to your address. So for the low, low price of $300, you would receive $6 billion. Yes. What a deal. <laughs> this is correct. This is what Mr. Anthony J. Blinken <laughs> sent to me. Wow. So in China, the Saudi prince is the U.S. Secretary of State. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Bartleby last time yes. this reminds me of uh, a parable from franz kafka the imperial message mm-hmm. you know that one no nope. i always kind of assumed it was about it was about china although it doesn't actually say anywhere uh, where it's from uh, it begins the emperor so they say has sent a message directly from his deathbed to you alone his pathetic subject a tiny shadow which has taken refuge at the fur- furthest distance from the imperial sun. He ordered the herald to kneel down beside his bed and whispered the message in his ear. He thought it was so important that he had the herald speak it back to him. He confirmed the accuracy of verbal message by nodding his head. And in front of the entire crowd of those witnessing his death, all the obstructing walls have been broken down and all the great ones of his empire are standing in a circle on the broad and high soaring flights of stairs. In front of all of them, he dispatched his herald. The messenger started off at once, a powerful, tireless man. And it goes on describing how the messenger, bearing this crucial message from the emperor, the last words that the emperor spoke on his deathbed, cannot make it to you to deliver the message because the empire is so large, full of so many people, he can't even make it out of the inner courts of the palace. So this is kind of like Mm -hmm. Mm Kafkaesque, sublime Mm -hmm. of the imperial society and i just love this that we're in china and we get like the inverse message from the (laughs) secretary of state who's saying like i personally delivered this message to joe biden and to uh moynihan so and so and to all the great uh you know dignitaries of the american empire due to humanitarian (laughs) ground and sympathy i immediately called up the president joe biden and john glover roberts jr chief justice of the supreme court of the united states (laughs) yeah to explain your matter to them as regard to your payment. Six billion United States dollars from four different banks. So it's great. You got your own imperial message. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Street Sweeper. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We're back after uh, a long trip. Very exciting trip. Yeah, this episode is going to be uh, less structured because we have basically no time the past month. Yeah, we were we were in China delivering some lectures. Yeah, we were doing a, a lecture series in and, Nanjing. Uh, yeah, that's cool. So we're gonna. The plan today is to briefly talk about some of our kind of architectural experiences mm. 
there and then to do like a quick catch up on some of the news we've missed. Right. Um, and then we'll close by answering a couple interesting questions we got on Patreon. Yeah. So what were your, what, <laughs> what are the main impressions of, of China architecturally okay, So we were in Nanjing. Yeah. Um, we never left Nanjing. We were there like two and a half weeks. So our, our experience of China is equivalent to like visiting Paris and having experienced Europe. Yes, basically. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's correct. Nanjing is Paris of, uh, of, of China, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's like a culture uh, center, uh, old, 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 yeah. old town. One of the two uh, old capital cities, South yep. Capital. Nanjing means South Capital, Beijing, North Capital. Yeah, and we were also busy working most of the time, so we didn't even within Nanjing we had limited time to actually explore. Yeah, we we were only tourists for like uh, about a week. Yeah, maybe. if that, if that, if yeah. that, and most of that was just food tourism. Really, that's true. <laughs> but, but I mean, food tourism was was because we we had to eat even during the period of time when we were working. So that, that business exactly. tourism just continued, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> But we did see uh, different parts of the city. So we saw, we walked through the older town, which was just a, a tourist nightmare for the most part. Right. Uh, we walked uh, northwest to see the Yangtze River from a from a big hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a few like day long walks around mm-hmm. uh, when before we had to start doing serious work. Um, yeah, the, the the city is very interesting. Like, the experience of uh, Chinese urbanism, I mean, obviously, just one city, but first of all, like, there is no, like, built heritage preservation in a broad, like, urban fabric sense of the word, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the city is all post-70s with preserved monumental ensemble, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some preserved monumental buildings. Yeah. Other than that, it's all new. And like certain campuses, like the university campus yeah, yeah, is yeah, older yeah. than that. But yeah. Yeah. There isn't really fab- city fabric Yeah, earlier than that. Yeah. Apart from this one kind of designated tourist zone, yeah. I think. But even much of that seems to have been rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, kind of reconstructed anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, I mean, there's there's city fabric preservation in the sense that the classical city from ancient times to today probably has essentially the same uh, like wide avenue grid system mm. uh, that continues today and is just like transfers from imperial Chinese urbanism into socialist planning urbanism. Right. Very wide avenues defining some kind of like mega like large scale blocks. Right. The avenues are like fairly high quality public space, very green, uh, Mm -hmm. always uh, divided into the car bit of the avenue in the middle, the uh, bike bit of the avenue after that, and then the sidewalk. Right. Sidewalk slash bike parking. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the sidewalk is taken <laughs> over by bike parking. There's a million trillion bicycles. It's by by far the most. Uh, not not even really bicycles, more like scooters. Yeah, it's bicycles and scooters. Yeah, yeah. by far the most 
traffic in the city is yeah. done via bicycles and scooters. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone is driving a bicycle and scooter. Mostly electric scooters. They are not mixed up with cars. Right. Uh, they are more mixed up with pedestrians than with cars. Right. Uh, especially large intersections are funny and confusing. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, there's obviously, like, there's, th- there's, there's, there's three types of things going on, not two, right? We're used to streets having two types of things. There, there's three types of things. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it works pretty well. Like, uh, there's very little traffic in the city center for a city of 10 million people. Like, when you compare the experience of heavy traffic in London with the experience of traffic in Nanjing. Yeah. It's, it's quite, I mean, different. I don't have, I don't have a lot of experience with car traffic in London, uh, but even foot traffic. Um, I mean, yeah. One of the things that struck us both pretty quickly was how relatively calm. Yeah. It's super chill and chill. The <laughs> Everything <city was>. is. <laughs> yeah. Like we saw the streets got very busy, especially the scooter lanes. Mm hmm around commute times mm-hmm. um, but otherwise it was pretty pretty calm it was less less cramped and hectic yeah. than london by a significant far, far less by a really yeah. significant margin yeah but london is terrible like in even in, in in european terms yeah 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 but uh no but like specifically the i mean we our experience was as pedestrians looking at traffic there and it's our experience in london as well yeah um and the like you you are in central london and it's constantly blocked by cars mm. and like commute times are like hours of stopped traffic constantly yeah. blocking like the entire center of the city yeah i guess part of the part of the difference is that nanjing's streets are more similar to Toronto streets than London streets. Right. Like London has a bunch of traffic running through all these small intersecting streets at odd angles, sure. with different yeah, kinds yeah. of intersections. Yeah, it's European yeah. medieval fabric yeah. today. Yeah. Whereas like there, it's just a long straight avenue and then traffic lights. Right. Um, so you can really see, get a sense of the speed of traffic there right. in a way that is a bit more difficult right. here maybe. Um, but yeah, mostly it didn't seem that bad. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But this gets to one of our like overall thoughts about the place, which is that the city is more like a North American city. Yeah, like it was funny, like as someone who's never been to North America myself. <laughs> right. Right, like, uh, I mean, I, I'm a European boy and I've always been in Europe. Um, like China... Nanjing specifically felt more like my idea of what the U.S. or North right. America in general is than what Europe is. Right. Except good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, there's this, like, Europe is okay in my brain, right? Europe is okay. America is trash. But China is more like America if it wasn't trash. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, that, that, that was my general feel of the, like, gestalt of the urban experience. Yeah, it's like a modern, uh, like most of the construction is modern. Yeah. Or like re- modern in yeah. the general sense of being, we'll talk about yeah. what that. But the urban fabric is modern. Like Yeah, it's planned, it's orthogonal. Yeah. 
it's high rise buildings for residential. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> so, so, like, Europe is old and stuffy and stuck, right? Right. And it's not going anywhere. Right. And everything, like, it's trying to cram modern life into cities that are not made for it. Mm-hmm. And that's the European urban experience uh, in general. America is like car hell. Yeah. But it's like active and dynamic. It's just trash and bad. Yeah. China is active and dynamic, but it's not car hell. Yeah. And it's like planned and nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the general feel. Uh, like, yeah, it it feels like my what the idea in my brain of what an American city feels like, except that it's made for pedestrians as more than yeah. it is made for cars. And uh, like three quarters of each city block are not taken over by car parking. Yeah, that's a There's big thing. Barely no car parking. Very limited car parking space for it's, sure. It's, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's just everything is that's urban. Huge. It feels like a city when you're in there. Yeah. It doesn't feel like this kind of empty, desolate thing that you. I look at pictures of American cities and it looks yeah. like that's what it feels like. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, and like one of the things, like. I, coming from North America, I mean, Toronto is better than most American cities. Sure. I think, uh, although it's still problematic in lots of ways, but one of the things that's missing from the American car centric model is like public space that's accessible to pedestrians, but China's full of public space. Everything is public space, quality, different scales, uh, big parks, small little corners for like, uh, with like two little shacks with a brisele, uh, shading thing on top to, for elderly people to play mahjong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is like in the corner of, uh, of the university campus mega block. Yeah. Uh, little things for exercise where like old people are doing all all their yeah these exercising things these like outdoor public gym setups with like everywhere pull-up bars and then there's like different i i'm always kind of perplexed by half of the equipment which doesn't seem that functional (laughs) to me like plastic and these are the versions that exist in london like plastic discs that you do you can like spin in a circle with each hand or levers that just swing back and forth Mm -hmm. and i never understood how any of this was what the purpose of any of this was but now i know (laughs) because this equipment is used like 24 7 basically by uh older people and not not just older people but it's there's clearly any there's clearly uh an emphasis on like elderly health yeah and uh urban uh, activities activities group activities largely yeah yeah yeah, from the area we were in, it seemed like young people were playing basketball. Right. There yeah, were yeah, tons of yeah, basketball yeah, courts yeah, in yeah, the campus yeah. and outside the campus. Uh, and older people were doing exercises on this equipment, basically. Yeah. And then, like, the, the little corners, like, intersections have, uh, like, a little corner garden area where a couple of elderly people are doing some karaoke yeah. thing every every evening. And then the big park in the other corner, the opposite corner of the same inter- big intersection yeah. uh, is uh, like after like 6 p.m. Yeah. Or even earlier, just starts. Uh, there's like pub- like collective, da- like groups dancing, doing dancing routines of different kinds of like at least two groups at the same time. One doing yeah. some kind of like regional ethnic 
uh, traditional dancing of yeah, different like regions of China. Some sort of northwest. Uh, that changes depending on the day you're there. And uh, then other one is doing some more like basic rhythmic things, more for like elderly people to do stretching exercises as dancing. Yeah. But they all have they all have a little sound system going yeah, with different yeah. different music. Uh, different... We don't know how where how this is organized, which groups set this stuff up. But it's just like it's constant. The urban space is filled with quality public space, and it's constantly used. Yeah. You never never see this amount of actual public space being used by the public. Yeah, actively. And it probably has something to do with like they they like retire at sixty, right, and yeah. then. And then there's this culture of uh, doing stuff and keeping active. Yeah. <laughs> and all, all the amount of like old ladies riding scooters <laughs> is also kind of really funny. And um, uh, old ladies and old guys just like riding a little scooter and the old guys riding a little scooter with like a, it's like a pickup scooter uh, that has all the... The, the, the crap from the small business that they run or whatever on mm -hmm. the back. Yeah, there's so many different models of scooter going on. There's like more sort of steampunk looking ones. There's more <laughs> ele sleek electric ones. Yeah. Yeah. Scooter is, was, is the definitely contemporary the ones, mode the of transport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The contemporary ones all have like animal happy faces uh, painted on the front with a little hat or something. There's this. Yeah. And um, most importantly, the entire city is like modernist urban planning. Yeah. Like yeah. everything is basically Athens Charter. Yeah. We'd heard sort of conflicting opinions about what the planning of, of right. Nanjing would be like. Right. But in our experience, yeah, it's straight up modernism, classic yeah. modernism. Yeah. Spaced blocks. Yeah. Uh, neighborhood units. Yeah. Yeah. And this seemed to go both for... Uh, older, relatively speaking, older parts. Yeah. Maybe 70s. Yeah, they have like five, totally five story blocks, which yeah. are uh, maybe a little bit too close to each other, um, mm. which have like a little patio in front separating the two, and it's just a patio filled with stuff and uh, for parking the, 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 the scooters and, mm -hmm. and stuff. Everything, it, it's kind of interesting because it's, yeah, it's like Athens Charter across different, but it's all built after the 70s. Uh, the architecture is stylistically diverse, but the prim urban principle, the urban morphology is uh, fairly Very stable. Consistent, yeah. uh, it changes over time in scale. Right. So just like buildings become taller and taller and the spacing between them becomes bigger and bigger. But it's the same principle consistently. Yeah. Um, there's also clearly stuff for different income levels. But again, they the same maintaining the same urban principles. So there's like a, a clear urban continuity. It's also difficult to tell what the income levels are, or mm -hmm. like which buildings are for which purpose. Yeah, like looking at looking at some of them, it's, it's a bit difficult to tell. And this is partly just a reflection on the neighborhoods and like the status of neighborhoods because right. you'd you'd see like a mix of what clearly looked like working class housing mm -hmm. but then there'd be posh shops mm -hmm. uh and it was all kind of mixed together in mm -hmm. that in that central part of the city that we walked through a right. lot so it was a bit hard to tell even there 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 wasn't a strong sense of like social segregation no it's it's an incredibly integrated continuous city uh, yeah. 
atmosphere experience. Uh, yeah. It's a clear, clear urban continuity throughout. Um, there are, there's probably outside of like uh, the broader limits of the city that we didn't cross mm-hmm. because it's very big. There's like new development zones uh, that are not so integrated into the existing fabric and like you, there, there's like, that are identifiable as new development yeah. zones. Yeah. We went to one of those. Yeah, in the southwest. Yeah, uh, which is uh, specifically for low-income um, state housing. Yeah. Uh, which was built very recently over the past like ten years or so, and uh, it has been and like start. I think it's. I think it's. It's not non-commodity housing, but it's affordable housing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Uh, we also heard conflicting uh, stories of whether it is private development uh, under regulation for affordable housing, or if it was like the housing's built by state companies. By state companies, yeah. yeah. Uh, but specifically, including state architecture offices, like apparently most uh, architecture, like the lar- the really large ones, the la- yeah. large. Um, like a, a, anything that is fair, medium to large scale uh, is like a shop from a shopping center to a housing estate is built by uh, state offices. Yeah. And architects work in public state offices. It seems like there's a bit of a gray area about yeah. state versus private yeah. offices. Yeah. No, no. Oh. Like they're, 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 it seems like they're, they're state owned but they probably function within some sort of market context. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. This is something that we we would love to figure out. Yeah, we would like <laughs> to learn actually a lot more about this. But yeah, the, the housing district we went to, uh, Southwest, so like there's an old uh, Ming Dynasty wall yeah. that kind of shapes the city into a rough rectangle. And then south of the main gate, there's a new development zone with a CBD and lots of housing. Uh, and that's all very modern. We didn't explore that area too yeah. much. There's like kind of Olympic stadium things there. Yeah. And those are, we are told and make sense. Just private. Like they're the high private development, yeah. private sector development and more, more on the high income, right. like high income end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I mean, it, it's, then, it's, it's market, the same market logics of, uh, like big, big, equipment in the middle with like raising land values around it that yeah. we have here. But it's not the same density. Like no. the planning principles aren't thrown totally out the window no. in this context at all. No, like no. It's still... yeah. I mean, you, you see very tall buildings that yeah. like when you look at them from afar, it, you see a, like a visual wall of uh, buildings, yeah. but you look at the plan and you go there and it's, again, it's like the very tall, but plenty of space between them. Yeah, and this this was our experience in the in like a bit further south and further out of the city. We went to this affordable housing zone that yep. was developed. Yep. We think it started to be developed. This is we want to learn more specifics about all this, but yep. uh, it started being developed a while ago and then took some time to fill up and become yep. active activated. There was a first more contained development like area which was initially market development, but for low. Uh, for on the lower end of the uh, income spectrum that was framed as affordable and then there was a a plan for 
like the significant scalar expansion of that into yeah. basically a new town yeah. uh, scale of affordable housing, which we are not, again, not super sure how much of it was developed by public uh, Yeah, uh, But like public dri driving south on the highway in, the, in this direction, from the highway you see these like ranks of very high residential blocks like mm -hmm. 30 plus stories right yeah and it's a bit yeah. intimidating yeah uh, yeah yep. coming from london or yep. from like where you're not used to that scale of, right. of residential development and you kind of imagine or you it's hard to tell what the ground plane is like yes in those areas yes. so we were really interested to see what the actual you know city experience yep. of this housing zone was and it was basically pretty good. Yeah, like <laughs> from from a Western expectation, you look at it from the highway and you think this is going to be like a hellish dormitory. Yeah, uh, parking city. lots, yeah. highways, yeah. no pedestrian yeah. access. Yeah. No, you enter. It's a, like the the same principle of the uh, big, wide, very wide, very green, very quality uh, avenue grid is there, mm -hmm. in, as in the center of the city. Uh, it's a it's a continuity of like the logic of organization of public space, um, with commercial ground floor all throughout the the yep. the main avenues, uh, all all very used. Uh, and then you go inside each one of the mega block estates, and it's uh, like it it's all super airy, super uh, uh, like there's a lot of space. <laughs> Yeah, there's gardens. Yeah, there's it's, little, it's that yeah. run-of-the-mill ground floor of uh, what would be a like, yeah, a modernist estate design. Just you have towers. They are like range from the first the first uh, area uh, is just like parallel blocks, uh, which were like um, maybe eight like or ten, eight or ten stories yeah. uh, high, and then. At when it expands, it goes like to, into the thirty stories high. Yeah, yeah. Um, tower blocks, and even then, there's like a couple of phases right. that you can clearly discern um, which one mm -hmm. is older, which one is newer. Um, but again, this is all like apart from the first stage, which was probably is probably a bit older. Uh, the everything there is like ten years old. Yeah, um, and or less. Yeah, and, and in fact, like the people we went with to look at it had gone uh, like five years ago, more or less, and had documented what it looked like when it was basically all empty. Like people were not yet living there. Yeah. And now we went and it's filled with people and yeah. all the shops are, are, are open. And yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's, again, it's a fresh, airy, uh, yeah. lots of... The, 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 the avenues are lively. The interior of the blocks is lively. It's just parks and green and with like little, like the... Little tables and things. Yeah, around. the little like exercise thing there and mm -hmm. the little uh, thing for the kids to play there. And it's, it's a typical arrangement of the kind of little urban equipment that you see inside modernist urban planning. Yeah, and you could basically walk... If you live there, you could walk to the shops. Yeah, everything is extremely walkable. But it would be, it would be probably even better to ride a bicycle or, yeah. to, or to ride a scooter. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the only question we really had 
was accessibility to the city center. Right. If your mode of transport is an electric scooter, yeah, you'd have you to take work in that new. And you don't work there, you'd have to take. Uh, it would be fairly long to get. So we, we, yeah, we don't know to what extent like employment, local employment, right. is a factor. Yep. In the development, that's something yep. that we'd want to yep. look into more. Yep. But there is some industrial stuff. But all nearby. the services are there, so. Yeah, it it does not function as a dormitory city in the yeah. traditional sense that we think about of it here. Like right. it, all the local services are there, all the schools and the kindergartens yeah. and the stuff. And every block and has a cares. diagram showing like the fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, city. that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single block has yeah. a little thing saying this is what's in five within five minute, ten minute, and fifteen minute distance from you yeah. with all the services, including commerce and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically every block has a little billboard with yeah. a map yeah. with the circles, yeah. five minute, 10 minute, 15 yeah. minute drawn on. Yeah. yeah, and then right next to it, a photograph of the lady in the block that is like the the party responsible person in charge of like taking care of like yeah, community social, organizing, yeah. social taking care of. Social welfare. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a, the, 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 the local Soviet delegate for the block. Right, basically. right. That comes from the block, and it's like they like they, apparently they're volunteer. They explain like the text, uh, I volunteer, uh, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. and it says a little text for the person like that in, in the voice of the of that person. I volunteered for this job, and I like it very much. It's great. I know all the people in my block, and uh, like uh, it's been hard work, but it's very rewarding. Yes, yeah. uh, I um, take care of like seven elderly people who live alone and uh, three people who have mobility issues. I remember like when we were translating one of them, <laughs> it's, it's like really funny and cute. Yeah. It's like social historic, social organizing. <laughs> one of the other interesting things about it was, and this goes to everything being recently built is that when we, we as we were walking through the city, every now and then we'd pause and try to guess how old a building was or like what decade it was from. And this was really difficult to do because yeah. stylistically it, none of the, none of the kind of periodization of architectural styles we know from the West really yeah. matched. Everything yeah. would be yeah. offset a bit later. Um, but also the structurally, all the buildings were modernist and then there'd be some postmodern details like some yeah. fan lights yeah. on a, on a tower right. or like some sort of Neoplatian symmetry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it's really interesting. It's really complicated because in the West, architectural style basically helps you identify program because there's like the chronology of stylistic teaks, stylistic elements in architecture matches a chronology of program, uh, change, programmatic change. So you, you're, you're in London and you look at something that looks like modernism, uh, apartment buildings, and you know, because of the architectural style and the uh, urban morphology associated with it, that it's public housing. <laughs> um, you look at when it starts having postmodern stuff all over it, you know it's not public housing. It's now private, uh, private uh, development for middle-class people and it's commercial. Yeah, there's a bit of, a, in London, there's a bit of an overlap with, really like low rise housing from the late seventies. Yeah. But what my, my point, like it, you, but that's clearly the t- typologically. And in terms of like planning, it's clearly like Thatcher transition yes, to yes, private, yeah, yeah, private yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. regime. 
Yeah, there. Yeah, there's no you do, you, like style th- is purely superficial. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Those reference yeah. points completely disappear, and you yeah. have no idea. Yeah. And because everything is continuously integrated into an urban whole, and because there is programmatic functional diversity integration at all, at all scales, from the whole city to the scale of the building, like a, a, a big ass modernist looking. 1970s with some postmodern stuff going on at the top uh, apartment tower which is like 40 stories high is like the first five stories are a shopping mall mm-hmm. are like a department story department store shopping mall whatever it is like a commercial yeah. and the play like you look at it from the western perspective and this looks like western social housing but then it has a commercial on the ground which western social housing never does of, of a significant scale, like a significant proportion of the building is dedicated to commercial. And then probably there's some offices over there as well. So it's like a single building is very diverse in terms of functional programmatic uh, mm-hmm. on, on the programmatic side. Yeah. Yeah, we, we basically thought this was a perfect illustration of the, the point uh, that you make often about Soviet architecture of the 30s. Right. That it's, uh, you know, stylistically neoclassical right. in some ways, and might look postmodern in that regard, or is like a, a it's a proto postmodernism in pro, a, yeah. a stylistic yeah some sort of reaction to early modernist uh, right. experimentation, but actually the underlying urban morphology and planning principles are still modernist. Yes, and this was yeah, and they are a, a continuity yeah. of the principles developed by the avant-garde. Yeah. So basically in socialism, everything is modernist. Yeah, like essentially our <laughs> thesis is in socialism, everything is modernist, even when it's postmodernist. Yeah. In capitalism, <laughs> yeah. everything is postmodernist even when it is modernist. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I mean, we, we discount welfare state period of capitalism where modernist is actually modernist, even though it's not as modernist as it should be because it doesn't, it's not, it's, it's not a continuous integrated whole in the city, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the main differences when you look at the scalar level, that it's like discrete estate level that can be very large, but they're still discrete parts of the city that are estates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like in, even at its best, it's still not as... Yeah. It's almost as if modernism just is a quality of socialism. Or like the archi- an architectural term for for socialism. We, yeah, I mean it's it's really existing modernism is what I yeah. I call the architecture of the Soviet Union as far as I've yeah been looking at it, including all of the classicist thirties and forties one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting and really really like um, it's nice. Everything is kind of nice. Okay, so on the news, mm-hmm. what's been happening in the West in our absence? Um, I'm completely ignorant, so... Yeah, I've just been looking at some stuff. It's, it's just a standard, like, this is a current bullshit events uh, episode, <laughs> the other half of it. So, yeah. yeah. But I, there's, there's one that I find really interesting that's, like, more political than we usually are. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the UK Labour Party has come out with statements on housing policy. Um, (laughs) Uh. So, quoting Keir Starmer, 
owning your home is not just about having a place to live. It's about having pride and security. Labor will be the party of home ownership. There's a bit that is a bit more, maybe it's not as bad, but it's, but it's going to be bullshit and you know it's going to be bullshit afterwards, which is that we will support first-time buyers with a mortgage guarantee scheme. That's whatever. And by giving them first dibs on new houses. Apparently, in, in the context in which... You know, the original privatization of housing, which did increase the number of homeowners by selling off all the public housing yeah. stock beginning under Thatcher. Yeah. That trend was reversed inevitably by the accumulation of this housing yeah. and real estate yeah. and a reversion to landlordism yeah. and, a, and a much enlarged private rental sector. Right. So there is, there's like a left case you can make for homeownership in that context, at least against the private rental sector. And is that point you like to make about how only socialism will, will save personal property? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know that they're not going to do that version. No, of no this is, uh, this is, if, when you talk yeah. about home ownership without talking about uh, price controls, yeah. rent controls and pu public uh, housing production, yeah. all you're talking about is facilitating more, uh, more mortgages, market, mar market yeah. rate uh, developments and market rate developments are unaffordable and therefore there's not going to be like the market rate is the reason why there's no the the democratization of home ownership under Thatcher <laughs> as a stepping stone towards ending public housing and concentrating capital yeah like the democratization was reversed by Capital concentration, which took, takes the form in real estate of real estate property concentration. So you can only do that with price controls. There's, there's no alternative to price controls. Mm -hmm. If you don't have price controls and you say, I'm going to be the party of home ownership, it's, it's essentially making a YIMBY argument. It's saying, yeah. we are going to allow people to buy more homes. We're going to be the party of homeowners by way of facilitating private Develop, uh, development at the market right yeah and then the usual the usual kind of means tested marginal policies right. to like give people better loan loans sure somehow or like subsidize mortgages a sure. little bit and i can yeah. all, all, even guarantee that none of that thing will actually happen hmm. because we live in the post 2008 western financial sector world yeah yeah um but specifically, like no, and it's Keir a, it's a, the saying, other side of it, it's a political, the, it's a political neo-Thatcherite gesture. It's clearly yeah. saying we are the legitimate heirs of Thatcher. Yeah, and like, but it's also like um, a confession, like saying Labour is the party of homeowners, homeowners mm. being Tory voters. <laughs> He's, labor is now the party of Tory voters. <laughs> it's what they're saying, yeah. <laughs> which is, of course, absolutely correct. That's that's the plan. That's the the the, the right wing plan for labor. <laughs> yeah, that's all that they're and, trying and to and do. Is proposing getting... and then also reflecting their their electoral approach in proposing to make people who are not homeowners into homeowners. They're proposing to increase the Tory vote. Exactly, which, which they're which likely of course. going to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's perfect. It's exactly going as planned. Mm -hmm. On other very funny news, the last uh, issue of Architects Journal. That's the the Reba yes. Associated Journal. 
on the last issue of Architects Journal, there is an extra little, like, booklet, mm -hmm. which is this, which is called How We Celebrate the Coronation, Designs for a New Reign, with a little weird drawing of... I mean, is that King Charles holding a... T-square. A T-square? Riding a lion. Riding a lion. A very threatening-looking lion. This is true. Very medieval-y, the, the whole, like... As a, the lion is very kind of a gothic medieval lion. Right. Very strange. With some buildings behind it and a fountain square. Uh, I mean, we know that Prince Charles is a specialist in the architectural field. We've we've talked about it extensively in this podcast. Um, this is very 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 funny, yeah. And uh, people are just, I'm just looking at see, I'm just seeing this pop up on Twitter, and I asked people, please send send us if you have if you're a subscriber of AJ, send us this stuff so we can make fun of it on, on the pod. But no one has sent anything, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I guess this doesn't exist in digital form. Right. It seems like they don't want anyone to look at it. It's not <laughs> somehow invested already in Reba. Right. I mean, you get why like Reba has to pay vassalage to the royals because it's like the R in their name. Yeah. But yeah, this is pretty funny. Um, and then people are critiquing it. Like this person saying, just arrived in my AJ, 54 contributors, five of them are women and four are men for, from a black, Asian or ethnic minority background. I thought this kind of stuff was supposed to belong in the past for fuck's sake. I don't think the representational angle is the best angle to critique this from. This kind of critique is, is basically like offering, offering yourself as woke consultant to the monarchy. Right. Like you just want to make sure that they clean up their public presentation. It doesn't have actually have anything to do with the, the politics. But then you, someone has actually posted <laughs> the names or like the, the, the content. This is pretty big. This has 60 something pages. The, con the table of contents okay. at the start. Excellent. So, I've got an informant. Yes. So do you want to know names of authors and titles? Please. Number one, Lord Foster of Thames Bank OM. <laughs> I don't know what OM means. Uh, Urban housekeeping. Order of monar or order of the monarchy. <laughs> On order of the monarchy. <laughs> Urban housekeeping. Urban housekeeping. Hmm. How more is, is this about like how you hire help? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. For the city? Hal Mogridge, OBE. Mm, Order of the British Empire. There I you know go. that one. Save Victoria Tower Gardens. Mm. What's Victoria Tower Gardens? I don't know. Okay. Sir Terry Farrell, CBE. Mm. Design literacy and thinking ahead. So, Lord so everyone, everyone so far is at least a knight. Yes. Lord <laughs> Rees of Lidlow. O M F R S Skyline Cleansing. Oof. That's a rough <laughs> title. That's a rough title. Sir Stuart Lipton. Drop housing targets. Mm -hmm. 
Sir Simon Jenkins. Make buildings work together. Why didn't people think of that before? Cecil Balmond OBE. <laughs> Humanistic space. Mm. Jules Lubbock. Sharing the nation's wealth. Mm. That seems like a good idea. Nick Mason, CBE. Freedom to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Murray, CBE. 15 minutes to save the city. Ooh, 15 minute city. 15 minutes like, to save like the those city. Words. I don't know if it's like against the 15 minute city or pro the 15 minute city. Uh, yeah. Lord Best. It seems like the tribe people would be in favor of the 15 minute city. They should, wouldn't they? But I mean, yeah. they're not. Lord Best, OBE. The problem with oligopoly. Hmm. That seems like vaguely contradictory. Is that a labor lord? Lord Waldgrave of North Hill. <laughs> lord Waldgrave. <laughs> Give us back our streets. Oh, God. Like the aristocracy? <laughs> yes. They used to be ours. <laughs> <laughs> Dinah Carson, CBE. Town tidying. Hmm. Street sweeping. Piers Gao. We know this guy. Hmm. C-B-E-R-A. Top of the pops. Tory postmodernism. Sir Christopher Frailing. Bibidi bobidi boo. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie Grove. We're the ones who used to... We're the ones who have to look at it. Okay. George Ferguson, CBE. The playful Carolian city. Carolian? Carolian, Carolian? Carl, Charles, Carolian. Oh, yeah. Yes. Carolingian. The playful Carolingian city. Yeah. <laughs> Ian Ritchie, CBERA. Homo accommodatus. Jonathan Meads, stop all building. Peter Rees, CBE. Cities fit for gossip. Brian Hatton, build it again, Sam. Duncan Fallowell, more delicacy. <laughs> Michael Morrison, attacks on gum and the clutter coal. This is like this is just like so boring. Incredibly like... snobbish people saying, "I don't like that poor people live in my city." Yeah. Why do poor people keep putting gum in park benches? Let's yeah. just cleanse this filth. <laughs> that's what that's what that's Yeah, yeah, that is what it is. Robert Adam, have more fun. Peter Stuttert, and faster unfasten your green belt. I don't know what this mm -hmm. means. Lord, Lloyd Grossman, CBE, invest in public space. This is one of those titles that if a lefty a lefty can say it as in build proper public space for people and the righty can say it as in spend money on public space doing like spend public money on public space to then increase the property values of the private properties adjacent to it theo fennel redressing distressing windows stephen bailey let's all be design critics Alex Lifschutz, 
turn we're, we're now in the, the section of the table of contents where no one has titles anymore yes they're like sir, clearly ranked ranked yes in, in next one is sir sir oh. howard bernstein rethinking regeneration john mcaslin cbe a festival of affordable housing okay Kim Wilkie. Why does everything have to be like a twee? Living and breathing because they're British. Picnic. Everything's yes. a, everything's everything's a picnic. Everything's a picnic. <laughs> <laughs> the Duke of Richmond. Oh shit. Learning from the past. Is <laughs> <laughs> a title, title worthy of a duke. Sir Laurie Magnus BT. What? The cash value of heritage. That's pretty mm, good. That's straight, that, <laughs> straight we could forward. write that. Yes. <laughs> that's something we could write. Yes. James Sturton, dictating to developers. Craig Brown, antidote to terminal boredom. Sir Nicholas Coleridge, insulate houses with wool. <laughs> David Jenkins, ways of not that. seeing. Hanif Kara, OBE, paint the town red. Interesting. I'm done for that in more ways than one. <laughs> Joffrey Matthews, Whitewater City. They got a Joffrey. That's that's good. Ben Oakry, OBE, A Passion for Space. Austin Williams, Going Public. Roger Lewis, A La Recherche du Temps Perdu. It should be forbidden to write in French in this in this thing, right? Only only the proper Norman aristocracy can write it in French. <laughs> But then you have to pronounce it with a posh British accent. Right. Tom Bloxham, MBE, Naming Rights and Wrongs. Cindy Walters, The London Forest. Rory Sutherland, Mending Broken Architecture. Deborah Sant, Towards Spatial Justice. Lord <laughs> Vasey of Didcot, Royal Fine Arts Commission Redivivus? What? Whatever. Ptolemy Dean, OBE. Ptolemy. <laughs> Vital and they Viable High School. They got a Ptolemy. <laughs> Thomas Heatherwick. Yeah. CBERA. An end to dull rectangles. Mm -hmm. Alison Jackson, Bring Back the Light. Carlo Ratti, Farm Scrapers. <laughs> Amin Taha, The Weight of Net Zero. Will Butler Adams OBE on your bike? Wow. That's a real murderer's row. <laughs> Which one are you most interested in? Interested in is the page, like, is there a Pim's Cup stain on the, on the book? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we ask all of our listeners if you happen to have this with you and you wouldn't mind sending us a digiversion save us a trip to the reba library save us a tip trip to the <laughs> library and uh we'll we'll uh make fun of the co the actual contents next episode yeah okay the only other thing i want to talk about because i think it's really funny one article in zine zahadid architects Developing most projects using AI-generated images, says Patrick Schumacher. Ooh. Zadid Architects is using AI text-to-image generators to come up with design ideas for projects, studio principal Patrick Schumacher has revealed. Right. Parametricist architects have been developing 
algorithmic design nonsense to somehow try to like come up with a, f- a formalist alibi for why their yes. stuff looks like it does. Yes. That has some sort of pseudoscientific principles behind it. Right. And now big data has just already invented these tools uh, and made all their creations irrelevant and redundant. You don't even have to do much. These are quote. You show them raw and you can generate ideas with clients and within the team because of light, shadow, geometry, coherency, the sense of gravity and order is so potent and the ideas are still striking. But then he says like what they actually do. Prompts shown alongside the images included Zahadid Museum Aerial View. That's it. High quality. <laughs> That's yes. it. And Zahadid Eye Level View High Quality. <laughs> so like, this is like a straightforward like, okay, Zah's dead now. And all we've been doing is just like, let's do something like in the style of, yeah. as if. Now yeah. we can just ask a, 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 an algorithm to do it for us which i mean that's the algorithm that we've been doing anyway yeah but someone did it better than us because they weren't architects so we <laughs> yeah they're just literally asking the algorithm to produce make a thing that looks like looks like zaha's work yeah and then we they try and transform it into an actual project which is also it's a confession of a pathetic design process but it's also a confession of like how this architecture is actually done like including Zaha, like... Yeah, no, this is just how authorship works. I want I want an image thing, and then I'm going to try and transform an image thing into a an, an actual building that works as a building. Yeah. This yeah. is a striking confession of how uh, this contemporary neo-avant-garde slash postmodern architectural things yeah. work. Yeah. It's like there's no design even in design. Yeah. Do you think at Frank Gehry Architects, they enter the prompt, crumpled piece of paper, aerial, right? aerial view, high exactly. quality? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is literally That's amazing. a confession of that what everyone makes fun of as a This is true. This is truly joke. democratizing the design also because anyone can enter. Anyone can do, can be Zahat. They basically now have to create some sort of intellectual property legislation to block anyone from using proprietary terms like Zaha because the algorithm is just is like just running through existing renderings of Zaha which is why I'm looking forward to the like Patrick Schumacher's changing opinion on this topic Mm -hmm. because as of now he is saying that the serious issues surrounding AI cannot be resolved by heavy regulation and instead advocates yes. being open and free and energized and optimistic to solve these issues. Yeah. We can already see the forces lining up to impose centralized political control, he added. So right. w- wait until the moment. I- I'm waiting for, in five years, he believing that we need to set up, uh, like Zahadid Architects, advancing the cause for uh, proprietary IP I guess in search words in, in it. Yeah, in, in, in architecture, because the capital required is so high to, to produce anything, this isn't actually going to be that much of a problem because they have the coincidence of owning the brand for architectural production. Like the actual design looking like a Zaha is not that important. And you, everyone's been, been copying that stuff for right. a long time anyway. Uh, but the developers still go to them 
um, as part of like the meta uh, added value that their that their brand uh, can add. But like again, they have already sued other developers for plagiarism for building things that look too much like a Zaha project. Yeah. So what are you going to do now when you're saying that you literally do that yourself? <laughs> yeah. All you do now is self-plagiarism. <laughs> that's how yeah. you come up with projects. Yeah. <laughs> you literally just said that's your design process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do the same thing you sued other people for doing. <laughs> so yeah. it's literally just a private property of the, the right to do it. You've already con- in the past established that you reserve to yourself the right to be the only one plagiarizing yourself. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying that's what you do. Yeah. So that, like you, you can't have uh, an open and free and energized and optimistic approach to solving these issues, Patrick Schumacher. You, you need to assert your ownership as you have already done. It seems like the open and optimistic approach is like, oh, we can just fire some, some, some of our staff. Yes, of course. In the short term. Yeah, and of course. And we'll, we'll worry about other pro- problems later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So finally, we have uh, two comments to our last episode. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, want to read the first one? Yeah. So the first one from an excellent um, Twitter account that uh, we follow and interact with regularly Uh, architecture degrowth manifesto at m underscore hot mess candy (laughs) recommend everyone follow uh, this uh, twitter account architecture degrowth manifesto Um, another kick-ass episode which i thoroughly enjoyed but i must stridently object to your hasty dismissal of barlowby (laughs) first of all the notion that Bartleby's refusal falls short because of his failure to join with others in overthrowing capitalism is staggeringly ham-headed. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Nice. Melville's bourgeois narrator is driven mad by Bartleby's perfect rejection of each of his successive attempts to help. Bartleby isn't striking for more days off. Quote, Your system is rotten to the core, and we will submit to no rehabilitative regime, however charitable. End quote. Hmm says Bartleby. Is this not the depth of the general strike? The strike of those poor Japanese youth who have self-evacuated, necessary to pull the weeds up by its roots? I mean, it's po- I haven't reread Bartleby. Right. Uh, so it's possible that there's there's better political content in there than we were, we were doing justice to. Right. Um, if that's a direct quote, uh, your system is rotten to the core, that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. Gotta, gotta say that. Um, however, the comment kind of loses me with the parallel to Japanese youths who have self-evacuated. Right. Especially when it pairs it with the general strike. Yeah. Uh, like this kind of, uh, depressive, um, otaku, is that the term? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just an expression of utter failure. Yeah, that, to challenge the system. That is that is not a challenging of the system. Yeah. That is the uh, extreme depressive uh, giving up. Yeah, like the 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 um, sit at home, not wanting to participate in society. Uh, individual is a highly oppressed 
person who has completely given up. Yeah. It's not a revolutionary. Right. That it's not rev, the, the revolution is not a well, passive thing. Yeah. It's an active thing. You do it. A, a, a strike is with throwing labor, but it's something that you do. And a, a strike is an act. It's not an absence of action. It's action. It's it's quite called industrial action. Yeah. Yeah. It's a political act as opposed to the economic act of being having your labor explo- labor exploited. That's the general strike. Mm-hmm. But it's an act. Yeah, I mean the the parallel with striking, like with withholding labor, is clear from a from a zoomed out perspective. Yeah, but when you get into the details, it doesn't really doesn't really match. And the I would prefer not to message. We generally find falls more into this kind of radical, uh, radical position than an actual revolutionary. Yeah, kind of We're a radical negation. Before, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, I think there is a and it, and it's a, a point that we made last time too that. Like we see revolution existing in a dialectic that involves reform somehow, or at least reform demands, and not as a not as an all-out rejection of any kind of material. No, it, it exists in dialectical yeah. in dialectical relationship with. Yeah, and essentially, revolution happens when only revolution can 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 produce the reforms yeah. demanded. Yeah. So there is no contradiction necessarily. Yeah, and it's and it's just not an accurate representation of like. The boss representing capital is gonna give you all the reforms you want, but no, you want the revolution. Yeah, that's, that's not, just how, it not works. how it works. Yes, <laughs> like when when the boss gives you everything you want, the workers everything they want, they don't do a revolution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, again, we've also talked about this in the welfare state uh, episode. I think that every revolution, uh, every revolution is preceded by a moment of limited reforms, by a period right. of very limited reforms trying to contain but they're not sufficient that they are an expression of the weak political weakness of the ruling class um but they need to be limited if they can be if the ruling class has the capability of making those reforms sweeping and large scale then the revolutionary drive will disappear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but also I, I mean i think there is a there is there is a kind of a discount that must be given to the to the book that we're maybe again we may be being too harsh on it on the but there's a valid argument on the basis of the literary form of personalizing on a character a given a, a broader social thing that sure. fiction does all the time sure so, it doesn't have to literally be yeah we're class not action. we're not literally yeah. asking for the for Bartleby to be engaging in unionizing with these fellow right. workers like he's a worker who represents the workers so right. it's okay, at a, at a, it's a literary device to focus on the character, mm-hmm. the, something that is broader than a person. Um, but I, I'm sorry, but I'm still not convinced. But um, again, I also recognize... I would also need to have go, never read it. <laughs> I, would also need, I would need to read it properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second comment from uh, Leo our patron and former student. Hi, Sweepers. In the last episode, uh, you mentioned that there is this phenomenon whereby architects of a certain consulting type, it seems, are, quote-unquote, designing other aspects of the building life cycle, demolition, maybe sourcing material, building technologies. 
uh, different aspects beyond just construction. They might invoke care, labor ethics, sustainability as a reason for doing that. But you're saying that it has more to do with the architects having even more control over the building process. I would love to hear more details about that, but also love for you to expand in two ways. One, there is a general consultantization of various professions. Urban planning, engineering, architecture certainly has taken that path. The largest firms like Arup, Perkins & Will, SOM. But lots of smaller architecture firms as well, including avant-garde-ish ones. Even Dogma acts as a master planning slash architecture consultant from time to time and typically doesn't get stuff built. In itself, that seems interesting to talk about. Two, lately, both in academia and a certain sphere of architecture practice, the meta has been reuse existing buildings and sustainably source local materials and some other nice sounding stuff. Stuff that still seems like it's for the greater good, though. But since it's meta, it's worth being suspicious of even just for the for safe measure. Do you think it has less to do with some kind of moral imperative and more to do with something more realistic? Spoiler, spoiler yes. Uh, like taking on what are basically refurbishment projects, but make them more radical sounding, or maybe allow some kind of less evil developer to make money but feel less bad about it? Obviously, when hearing reuse or repurposing an older building, it's really hard to not think, aha, here's a warehouse turned into an office or flats. Aha, gentrification. Uh, then maybe one point one and point two ties in with that architect developer figure from architects after architecture turned into architect consultant, but still turning warehouses into whatever is more profitable at a given point. Hope you both have a nice time out of town, Leo. Thanks, Leo. Yeah. Yeah, we sure. have a we have a nice time out of town. We did. So it's a it's a large, interesting question with multiple parts. We don't we won't be able to go into too much detail on it here, but I think aspects of it will come up again. Like we'll we'll probably end up talking more about consultantization. Yeah. Uh, at some point. Our point mostly is not necessarily that. Architects of a certain consulting type, as you say, are designing other aspects of the building life cycle. And that is a way of them exerting more control over the building process. We are, I think the main point we were making is that they, it's, it's more of a transdisciplinary, um, like vague, like the consulting, consultantization is more of a, like a, is broader than even the building sector. It's architects, architects trying to find income in stuff that isn't even related to building anymore as a kind of a broader cultural uh, consultancy mm -hmm. uh, thing, right? Yeah. Architects um, looking at and like specializing in parts of the building process seems natural. Seems part of the tendency of specialization of labor that is just like ma ma macro historical. Yeah, I mean, our, our general framework for understanding this is that the traditional position of the architect as manager of the, as like lead consultant to the client right. on the building project, who then hires other consultants, maybe depending on the scale of the project, uh, that's been challenged just by changes in the building industry. So there are, there are, the architect is now more likely to function as a consultant, even doing traditional architectural work, 
to someone else who who has direct contact right. with the client. So there's the architect has already moved into like a, a more subordinate position as a consultant within the building project as a whole. Right. And then this just seems like a deepening of that tendency. Right. And an attempt by architects, not necessarily to control per se, but to just find uh, different ways to different markets for architectural work and arc, what architectural work. What can be branded as architectural yeah, work be, is, is now being as extended of, as much yeah. as possible. And it's not necessarily even that they're actively doing this, but that it's like a, to sort of paraphrase a Lukash term, uh, it's like an objective possibility. Mm. Like they're trying to uh, actualize those those roles. They're trying to speak them into existence, right. basically. Right. They're trying right. to like develop that capacity and make a case for it at the same time. Right. What do you think about this uh, reuse? I think the, the, the sustainability argument just seems like a post-rationalization of what are, as the building sector declines, more and more jobs are in kind of like yeah, we give a, renovation. A, so we, we read this as a very complicated political economics thing. Like it's not like the, the, the notion that, yeah, like there's less profit rate in the building sector now. Therefore, uh, investors tend to prefer over time move their investments to projects or developments with smaller overheads right and with higher profit rates uh with smaller with a smaller investment and this is part of the gentrification market like uh, yeah. when you gentrify you simultaneously when you gentrify an area you simultaneously need to up scale uh existing uh assets like renew a kitchen and a bathroom that's a renovation for uh, to, to make it look nicer for a middle-class family to move in. Um, and you need to downscale at the same time, as in prices go up, therefore you have a house and you divide it into five flats because prices go up and people can't afford a house anymore. So the, ex the vast expansion of renovations does not necessarily mean that there is a move towards sustainability because these adaptations are not socially necessary like it would, you could just not do anything, and that's more sustainable than doing a renovation. But you have to do the renovation to respond to market pressures. Mm -hmm. To that, and the market pressures are essentially making things socially worse. So you're paying an environmental cost that is smaller than building something new for the same function, but the function is a bad one that would be better not to be done at all, and that would have a zero. <laughs> yeah. uh, environmental costs so it, as as Lee was saying like this does sound good and and in, a, in in the abstract yes for sure it sounds good yes um but yeah in in uh in real really existing contemporary neoliberal yes capitalism uh there are material underpinning reasons for these kinds of ideological shifts yeah um which doesn't mean that you know you should ditch the ideas as technical possibilities yeah of course for other contexts but yeah, we just try to understand what those material underpinnings are yeah. in order to do that critique of ideology. Yeah, I mean, where I live, you see an expanded renovation market in the small-scale uh, private housing, but you do not see renovation of the large public housing estate. Mm. In fact, 
the plan is to demolish the public housing estate to build new builds yeah. while renovating the small Georgian existing houses and Georgian houses, houses. Yeah. to either upscale or downscale to fit rising property prices. Yeah. So architects developing the technical uh, know-how on doing renovations is great, but it would be great if those would be developed, applied to renovating social housing <laughs> which is, instead of doing pointless renovations of private housing that is perfectly fine as is. Mm -hmm. as it, I mean, it needs maintenance usually, and it needs some aspects of renovation, like, for example, uh, adaptation to uh, like f to cut um, heating costs, etc. But the renovations that are being built are not the good ones that should be built, mm -hmm. and the good ones that should be built are not being built. Mm -hmm. Most likely... Aha, gentrification. Aha, gentrification <laughs> is usually a good uh, response, a good, yes. Yeah. All right, that's our episode for today. Mm -hmm. We're semi-happy to be back in London. <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling so disposed, <laughs> please uh, become a pat patron to support us. Yes. At uh, patreon.com slash streetsweeperpod. Indeed. Leave us a comment uh, or a question and we'll respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Lord Scrudgington Neil Worthington III. Virtuous lollygagging. <laughs> Lord Postlethwaite Humblebottom OBE OBGYN. Jacobethan was so last season. Baron Warble Grimble Bottom of Podpuri. <laughs> Ode to lampposts. Duke Lucius Everdandy. Mm. Let's put the carriage back in dual carriageway. <laughs> Air Marshal Maximilian Valentine, OBE. From the sky, all the people are little. Sirloin of beef. <laughs> Let them eat pudding. <laughs> Duke Snitch Sestrol of Sussex. Why the grass should be greener on my side. <laughs> Earl Codswallop of Snorridge. Mm. Picturesque gardens of the great and good. Mm-hmm. Sir Notarep Tileson of Scalage, a city of good manners. Mm. Sir Keir Starmer, SOB. Mm -hmm. There is no alternative. Good, good.